Hello, Mike Baxter here, and welcome to Strategy Distilled for September. Um, bit of a husky voice for you today, I'm afraid. Day five of a pretty unpleasant cold, which I hope will be long gone by now. So, in this month's newsletter, what have we got for you? It is our monthly concoction of insights, learnings, and things you might have missed all about strategy. And I'm looking back on one year on from publication of the strategy manual and quite a few interesting reflections to share with you on that. We are releasing the strategy lifecycle model, and that's released um, on the Goal Atlas site on Creative Commons for you to use in any of your own presentations. Lessons for strategy from other fields. Um, I'm talking about anti-fragility this month, um, which I think is a fascinating notion. And three snippets related to strategy that you might have missed. Strategy and the Eigen question, the hot streak model of innovation and strategy and culture. So let's do it. The Strategy Manual one year on. So first anniversary of the publication of the Strategy Manual this month. And that really gives me a great excuse to reflect on the whole experience of writing and publishing a book on strategy. And overall, my reflection's pretty positive. The book and the models derived from it are by far my most frequent go-to source in my own day-to-day -day work which was a complete surprise to me. I'd always assumed I was writing the book for others to guide and inform readers on how to make sense of strategy, how to communicate strategy ideas with colleagues, and also how to undertake strategy using a structured and explicit process. And it probably shouldn't have been a surprise that I'd use this book and its models so much myself. In writing the book, I was distilling years of strategy experience into carefully crafted prose. Now, when I say carefully crafted prose, I don't mean this as a sort of boast or a throwaway turn of phrase. Every chapter was drafted and redrafted several times. Some chapters have as many as 10 rewrites in my archives. So this was a genuine attempt to capture and communicate my knowledge of strategy in the best possible way I could. When I now find myself wanting to present some aspect of strategy to a client, more often than not, I'll have a nagging feeling that I've already written about this somewhere before and reached for my copy of the strategy manual. So having this reference source to my strategy thinking is great, but it's a snapshot in time. And there have been several times since publication that I've moved my thinking further on. A couple of times my work with a particular client may have made me realize that what I'd written didn't cover all eventualities. What I'd written needed reframing. Other times, I'd realized that where I'd got to in my writing was not the final destination. There was more work to be done, more insights to be gleaned, as illustrated in this example. Chapter 1 of the Strategy Manual is called Strategy Fundamentals, and by and large, it set out to define strategy. I started by suggesting there are six elements making up strategy. Analysis, choice, positioning, design, storytelling, and commitment. I explained that strategy ought to serve four different purposes within organizations. An identity mark, alongside vision and mission, a navigation beacon to inform and guide future decision-making, a high-risk, long-term investment commitment, and a method of replenishing value for customers, which tends to erode over time in all but the most stagnant markets.
Then I explained that the strategy is complex. It's multidimensional and has multiple causes, symptoms and solutions. And of course it is complex. But there are some simple distinctions that I didn't cover that I now realize can help when, as I'm so often asked, I'm looking to improve strategy for a client. The word strategy can refer to either a process or a thing. And in my life cycle model of strategy, which is introduced in a moment, strategy is a thing is the output at the end of the strategy production stage of the life cycle. Usually it ends up as a published, at least internally, strategy document. Lots of useful insights and certain strategy tools can improve strategy as a thing. Your strategy, for example, should be about change, not about business as usual, as we describe in the boundary model of strategy. Your strategy should be strictly separated from your strategic plan, as we discuss in the separation model of strategy. Your strategy should be relatively brief and designed to remain unchanged, designed to remain unchanged, of course. It may change, but it should be designed to remain unchanged over the strategy's lifetime. Strategy as a process, on the other hand, is all about the activities involved in the production, the adoption and the adaptation of strategy. To improve strategy as a process means improving these activities and the ways to do so will be different for different stages. So improving strategy production, tools such as Porter's Five Forces, which is a framework for systematically analyzing the competitiveness of your business environment, or Chan Kim and Moberg's Blue Ocean Strategy, which is a principle that most businesses operate in a competitively cutthroat red ocean, but radically innovative strategies seek to identify the blue ocean of uncontested market space, or Rumelt's Strategy Kernel, which I've written about before, as well as our own strategy mapping, strategy framing, strategy design models. These can all be used to improve the scoping and the development of strategy. So that's a set of tools that help you improve strategy as a process when it's to do with strategy production. When it's to do with improving strategy adoption, you need to ensure the effective engagement and willing participation of all those involved in strategic planning and that requires a two-way exchange of information as senior leadership work together with frontline teams to find the best way to achieve the goals committed to in the strategy. That is covered in our goal adoption support model. Now these two-way exchanges can be improved with, for example, some simple rules for conversations about strategy. If we want to improve strategy adaptation, then strategic plans need to adapt to changing circumstances. And that requires that strategic risks are identified and managed as we cover in the strategic risk model, strategic risk register. We also need to build agile and resilient capabilities around those strategic risks. And we cover some of that in the pyramid model of strategy adaptation. Understanding and anticipating the future can also improve your strategic ability by using things like the futures cone and vacuum analysis. 
So my point with all of this is that firstly, producing a book is always a snapshot in time. You know, it's a summary of where I have got to in my thinking at a particular moment in time. And inevitably, books age when the thinking that originally produced the book has moved on. So here's just one example of where I think that if I was starting again, and at some point I will be thinking about when's the right time to do the update of the strategy manual, I would want to try and identify how specifically strategy as a thing can be improved in certain ways, strategy as a process can be improved in other ways, and strategy as a process is improved specifically according to the stage of the process you're in. Strategy production phase, strategy adoption phase, strategy adaptation phase. So I hope that might help clarify some thinking that you have about how to improve your strategy. So the new model that is released on Creative Commons this month is the strategy lifecycle model. And this shows, in a way, as we've been just talking about, that the strategy lifecycle is divided into three sequ sequential stages, produce, adopt and adapt. And the activities and outputs that occur at each stage are different. And this can be used to prompt deeper conversations on your organization's strategy, the stages involved in it and the activities that need to be pursued to achieve strategic success. So the strategy lifecycle model is available as a PDF and it is one of 19 strategy models we have now released by Golatlas so far. Lessons for strategy from other fields. Anti-fragility. We usually think of strategy as avoiding or mitigating risks. But the concept of anti-fragility turns this on its head. We say something is anti-fragile if it gets stronger the more it's stressed. And a well-known example of this is bones getting stronger in response to the loads that they are subjected to. So here is how Nassim Nicholas Taleb described anti-fragility in his 2012 book, Anti-Fragile, Things That Gain From Disorder. Some things benefit from shocks. They thrive and grow when exposed to volatility, randomness, disorder and stressors. Yet, in spite of the ubiquity of the phenomenon, there is no word for the exact opposite of fragile. Let's call it anti-fragile. Anti-fragility is beyond resilience or robustness. The resilient resists shocks and stays the same. The anti-fragile gets better. So a good strategy will therefore not just avoid fragility it should actively seek to promote anti-fragility, becoming proficient at building and testing minimum viable products is one way to become anti-fragile. Another is having leading indicators within your framework of strategic key performance indicators and leading indicators can be early warning systems of poor outcomes, enabling you to grow stronger by failing fast. So I just think anti-fragility is a really useful thing to have in the back of your mind as you're developing or even applying your strategy. And three snippets related to strategy that you might have missed. The first is strategy and the Eigen question. So knowing your Matsaruti from your Pukak is important if you live in central Siberia. 
Matsaruti is wet snow that can ice up the runners on your sledge. And Pukak is the salt-like crystalline snow that your sledge glides over. Just like words for snow in the Eskimo family of languages, discovering a word for an idea that didn't previously have one can be something of a revelation. And for me, Eigen question was just one such word. Derived from the mathematical concept of the eigenvector, which is the most discriminating vector that accounts for most variance in the data set, the Eigen question is the most important question to ask about a strategic challenge or opportunity. And I discovered Eigen questions in an article by Shashir Mehrota and Matt Hudson from Coda.io, and they provide a useful operational definition which connects to a process for finding Eigen questions. The Eigen question for a particular topic is, they suggest, a question which, when answered, will also answer many other questions about that topic. To find the Eigen question for strategy, start writing down a bunch of questions about a strategic issue you're working on. Let's imagine that your strategy issue is how to increase quarterly revenue consistently over the next few years. You start writing down questions about pricing and margins, about costs and efficiencies, about innovation and new product launches. Then, according to Marota and Hudson, you rank these questions in terms of importance. Does one high-ranking question also provide the answer to many of your other questions? In our example, the Eigen question is probably whether you can attain market leadership in your sector. If so, you can charge more than your competitors, you can drive harder negotiations with suppliers, you can drive up margins and have more to spend on new product development. So the Eigen question is about framing and framing I think is a vital part of good strategy work. And why does this matter for strategy? Well strategy is plagued by type 3 errors. Getting the right answer to the wrong question. So applying eigenquestions to your strategic thinking makes it more likely that your strategy will be answering the right question. The hot streak model of innovation. This is a pretty eye-popping piece of research on innovation published a fortnight ago and the great concept that came out of it. A team from Northwestern University and Pennsylvania State University collected together 800,000 images of visual arts from museum and gallery collections by a total of 2,128 artists and 79,000 films by 4,337 directors and the combined publication and citation datasets for 20,040 scientists. They then develop computational models using deep learning and network science to find patterns in the output of these diverse types of creative people. The pattern which they describe as a hot streak is where an individual has an intense period of high quality, highly innovative activity following a period of much more exploratory work. Examples include Jackson Pollock's drip paintings produced between 1947 and 1950, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy between 2001 and 2003, and the late career success of scientist John Fenn, who won the Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 2002 at the age of 85. Now, why does this matter for strategy? 
While strategy is usually about innovation, maybe not the type of groundbreaking innovation explored in this study, and it's worth noting the study has nothing to say about how generalizable its findings are, but nonetheless, strategy is about innovation to some extent. And the lesson from this study is that innovation can't simply be turned on because strategy demands it. It needs to be cultivated, and the culture of the organization needs to support key individuals that drive the innovation, and they may need to be at the right stage in their career for them to do their best work. They probably need to have been exploring the possibilities for innovation and maybe testing its boundaries. Then they need to immerse themselves in exploitation mode where they work intensively and productively for an uninterrupted period. So strategy needs to take a long view about innovation and it needs to build it, foster it and embed it in culture over long periods of time. And finally, strategy and culture. Culture eats strategy for breakfast, or so the saying from Peter Drucker goes, suggesting that an organization's culture will determine its success regardless how effective their strategy might be. I disagree, and I explained in the video that I've got linked in the blog post with Peter Abraham and Michael Crow. This, however, doesn't mean that culture is strategically unimportant. Having the right culture across an organization is a key ingredient for both strategy adoption and strategy adaptation. A recent article by Donald Sull and Charles Sull, published by MIT Sloan Review, gives 10 elements of culture that matter most to employees. Employees need to feel respected. Employees need to be treated with consideration, courtesy, dignity, and their perspectives need to be taken seriously. There need to be supportive leadership. Leaders help employees to do their work, respond to requests, accommodate employers' individual needs, offer encouragement, and have their backs. Leaders live core values. Leaders' actions need to be consistent with the organization's values. Toxic managers are leaders that create a poisonous work environment and are described in extremely negative terms. Unethical behaviour, where managers and employees lack integrity and act in an unethical manner. Benefits, employees' assessment of all employer-related benefits. Perks, employees' assessment of workplace amenities and perks. Learning and development, employees' assessment of opportunities for formal and informal learning. Job security, how job security is perceived, including fear of layoffs, offshoring and automation. And the tenth one is reorganizations, how employees view reorganizations, including frequency and quality. So if you need to get the culture right in order to make the strategy work, these 10 things might be a useful checklist. That's it for this month. I hope you enjoyed Strategy Distilled. Back again with more distillations in October.